It may not mark the precise moment when the ideas at the heart of this book began to take shape, but it is the moment I remember most clearly. My friend, Yazhar Hirschfeld, the gifted Israeli archaeologist, had invited me to accompany him to visit Cherbet et Dir, the ancient Christian monastic site in the Judean desert, that he had helped to excavate and document. We drove south from Jerusalem, past Hebron, stopping for tea at a local Bedouin encampment, before pushing on down a narrow, rough dirt road to the site. The ancient monastic settlement was situated in a long, sloping bowl, with rock faces rising up on three sides. A narrow channel had been cut out of the rock face to collect water, which ran down to a large cistern. An old stone wheel, once used for making olive oil, leaned against the back wall, where the outlines of the original monastic dormitory and refectory were still visible. Yazhar pointed out a field nearby that had long ago been the site of an olive orchard, and in a cave cut into the hillside, we encountered the remains of the monastic church, the space inside dark and still, intricate Byzantine mosaics gracing the floor, the pale blue sky just visible in the distance. I had been studying ancient Christian monastic thought for some years already when I visited Herbet at Dir. But until that day, I had not fully grasped the concrete, material context in which that thought had unfolded and flourished. Nor had I realized the complex and intricate character of the economy in which the monks participated, or how profoundly it depended on the particular geography of the places where they lived. Standing in the place itself, I began to sense the great ingenuity and care with which the monks had situated themselves in this landscape, and how intimately their thought was bound to the life in this place. I did not yet possess the language of contemplative ecology. But here, in this place, I began to feel the delicacy and beauty of a spiritual practice bound to a particular place and arising from it. My habitual tendency of privileging monastic thought over practice, so-called interior life over the physical, embodied character of monastic practice gradually began to dissipate. I found myself thinking in new ways about monastic life as a whole, about how spiritual thought and practice are shaped by landscape, and how the experience and perception of living in a place can be deepened through spiritual practice. It would be some years before I began to think about these questions in relation to ecological concerns in a more explicit way. But already, I was beginning to sense that the ancient Christian contemplative ideal of weaving the inner and outer worlds into an integrated vision of the whole had the potential to offer something important to us in the contemporary moment. My own experience of growing up in the Catholic spiritual tradition had been decidedly mixed in this regard. On the one hand, there was the simple beauty of the sacramental vision of reality, in which every particular thing in the physical world was seen as reflecting and revealing the sacred, and thus possessing inherent dignity and value.
I had absorbed this idea early on into my sense of the world. But there was also the long tradition of dualism within Christian thought, in which matter and spirit were separated into distinct and incompatible dimensions of experience, with matter, the body, and the physical world often being denigrated or undervalued. I also felt the burden of this tendency within Christian thought and sensed its larger impact on the world around me, and I could not really imagine how I might make sense of these competing and seemingly irreconcilable influences coursing through my tradition.